Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage, an expert and informed look at actor Nicolas Cage's contemporary filmography. On this week's episode, we're watching Stolen. Howdy, cowboy. Howdy. Howdy. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm doing uh, really good. Yeah. I'm addressing it immediately, Derek. I can't not address it. You're wearing a cowboy hat in the studio. Um, well, it's more of like a uh, kind of desert wanderer. Oh, okay. Kind of. Um, Maybe you would see this uh, on a in like the Australian outback. Yeah, uh, with a wider brim. Yes, for that um, for that shade. Well, if you're going to be shooting in the sun, you need to protect your fair skin if you're someone like me, who is Irish. A lot of people don't know this. There was a divergence in the styles of cowboy hats at a certain point. The more modern contemporary uh, cowboy hat that people are more familiar with, with the curved... The 10-gallon? Yes, the 10-gallon where there's so much space in there for your hair and uh, a top bun and like a Marge Simpson-esque hairstyle. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the curved up edges on either side, which is actually very bad for um, shading you yeah, from the sun. that's true. And what you have going on is a perfectly flat brim... Uh, with like the coverage of a sombrero it's kind of like a sombrero meets a pork pie meets a cowboy hat yeah i don't know what a pork pie is but it's what um breaking bad guy wears the uh, black hat. that's the the heisenberg hat the heisenberg it's called a pork pie you know your hats if you're gonna live in la can i say something i know it was supposed to be like a joke that like this is what that old man thinks is cool and intimidating but i never liked the pork like pie. i didn't think it was funny and I also didn't think it was intimidating. I don't know if they were going for funny. I think it, they were sort of like, this guy's so out of touch that, like, look at this dude in this outfit. But he makes it his own. It becomes his trademark. But that's my, my point, is it's supposed to have this evolution of the way that that look and style is interpreted in the fiction of the show, that me as a viewer, I never got to that place with that look. I always thought you it was fucking a doofus-ass really look. really a big problem with hats in general. The entire time we watched this movie, all you could talk about was that guy's freaking Oh, my fedora. God. Uh, yeah, there was, a, the, the, there was a police chief and his hat. He had a fedora on, and it looked terrible. Just because you have like um, high volume curly hair and hats don't fit on your head, doesn't mean you gotta tear everybody else down. I've, I've never, I've never successfully been able to put on a hat. Every time I try to put it down on top of my springy curls, it bounces <laughs> right off. So I've been deprived the joy of uh, of of hats. So I'm this yeah. bitter. You've revealed the the truth behind. That's why I wear this to taunt you. Yeah. Well, it's working. Yep. Um. Anything else we got to cover before we really get into it? Before we jump into uh, our next segment, I don't. We I covered hats. Got hats down. Yeah. Um. No, I think you know we're all busy. We're busy boys lately. You've been running up and down from the bay to here. I'm cutting together videos like a madman. It's true. So yeah, let's. Why don't you uh, take like a, a minute to talk about plug. that? We haven't even talked about it uh, on the podcast yet. Um, but you've been working on a really cool uh, music project I for the am, last little bit. When I'm not doing contemporary cage, I um, shoot music videos um, with uh, some awesome artists. Recently, um, Connor McCurdy, friend of the show, he and I took a trip up to San Francisco and Portland. And uh, shot a bunch of cool musicians um, through the trip. We've basically created um, a unified production company with all the music videos that are coming out called Rain Songs. We've done a lot of work for Cody Crump, who's a L.A. musician. Lots of cool, fun, artistic stuff. We're putting out videos every week. So I've been doing that a lot. Yep. Subscribe to Rain Songs on YouTube if you'd like to keep up. You already have uh, at least one of those up. By the time that this podcast comes out, you'll have at least two videos up. We have like eight or nine from previous 
music videos. Oh, that's true. But this yeah, there's a lot series there. um, is we've just uploaded one. We're uploading the next one, April eighth, this Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, we need a hundred subscribers before we get a custom URL, such as YouTube slash Rain Songs, which is something we really need. Because um, then I could just say that and you can go there. But right now it's like slash one two five seven blah 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 blah. But you can find it on YouTube. Um, if you know David, he's subscribed on Facebook and YouTube and stuff. Yeah, but check maybe, it out. Maybe I'll put that um on my YouTube channels, like recommended channels. They offer mm-hmm. that, right? So then, yeah, like featured channels yeah. on the right hand side. So if you're subscribed to me on on YouTube, then you can just find it that way. And I'll easily. I'll feature you on Rain Songs. I'll put you on the side there next to Lablago Tech and Cody Crump. <laughs> wow, thank you. But yeah. yeah, they're they're great, and they're uh you you said music videos, but they're like often like impromptu. They're live performances always. Yeah. Yeah, if, um, if you're familiar with La Blagotech, um, a takeaway show, yeah. there are a few that are playback, like traditional music videos that we get a little bit more high concept with, but a lot of them are kind of artistic live sessions in public places, on the road in San Francisco. We just uploaded one on a rooftop in San Francisco at night yeah, with like the really ambient of the city. Video. Thank really you like very much. It. It's very pretty um, and it's very fun. Uh, you should check it out if you like music like me, if you're a music person. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, let's enough about that. This is not why we're here. No, I just wanted to, I, I'm a big fan of what you guys have been doing and I wanted to give you some space on the show to promote that. Well, thank you very much. I'll uh, keep you guys updated uh, about what comes out each week and, and then give you a little taste. And if you want to go track it down, you can. Awesome. Okay. It's time to move into a segment that we like to call cage facts. What are these fucking iguanas doing on my coffee table? They ain't no iguana. Yeah, there are. There ain't no iguana. What the fuck is that? Fucking iguana. So, uh, we're actually doing kind of a themed cage fact this week. Cage facts this week. Um, And the theme is uh, superhero roles. Okay. So, I don't know if you know the specifics of this, but notoriously... Nicholas is a uh, a huge fan of comic books. Right. Played Ghost Rider uh, for two movies. Was very excited about that. Well, if you've listened to the pilot of Contemporary Cage, you know that he changed his name to Nick Cage, which is a reference to Luke Cage. To Luke Cage. Yeah, Marvel character Luke Cage. Um, and uh, but before, um, he got to play uh, Ghost Rider. He had a number of instances in which he was either cast as a superhero or was like the first choice for a superhero and just stuff didn't work out so Mm. today i'm going to give you a list of three uh different superheroes that uh he either two of them he was like considered highly or um was actually cast in the role of Mm -hmm. and then one of them isn't true it's like he didn't audition or the movie doesn't exist or so uh the two that are true are like varying levels of like one of um some of them happened um one of them didn't happen but yeah so uh let's let's just start off i mean pretty self-explanatory so for sam raimi's uh 2002 spider-man i believe um, with, starring uh, Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. the role of the Green Goblin. Oh. Sam Raimi, uh, his first choice uh, initially was Nicolas Cage. Well, that was his first choice. That doesn't mean Nick auditioned, right? Right. Well, yeah, I think that he had wanted. I don't know if he and Raimi had worked together prior to that. I don't think so. But uh, okay. yeah, that was his first choice. Which, like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, played by Willem Dafoe. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't have like specific memories i remember being pretty creepy and intense in that movie Um, oh yeah but yeah that's uh that's the first one okay next up is that uh i forget when it came out but the original x-men film oh i love that one he was uh a front runner for playing uh dr hank whatever hank i forget his last name hank hank mccoy beast oh beast he was he was uh considered to to play beast hmm which is another one that was like oh yeah that'd be that'd be that'd be a fit that'd That'd be be cool that'd be beast that'd be beastly he'd be beast and in there um yeah uh and so lastly the third option Mm -hmm. is that uh there uh was uh tim burton was at one point assigned to direct a a superman movie Mm. in that role he uh 
cast the Nicolas Cage. And that was like something that never actually happened, but like went through the early stages of concept and um, like pre-production and was developed, but uh, never actually happened. It was never actually shot. Man, Nick Cage would have been a terrible Superman. That would have been horrible. His hair would work. Yeah. But God, with the memification of Nick Cage, seeing him run around in like a tight blue Superman outfit, Mm -hmm. that'd be the death. So that's got to be true. The death of Superman? Of Nick Cage and Superman. Oh, yeah. Um, So that one's got to be true because Hollywood's full of idiots. Um, (laughs) Then... um, Goblin and Beast. So Beast makes a lot of sense to me. Because he's always playing a professor, and I could see him with his glasses, and I could see him looking all sad that he's a beast before the transformation. Mm. Although seeing him in all that makeup and prosthetics would be so silly. Yeah. I don't know how they made What is it, Kevin Spacey or somebody crazy play beast? I forget. I'm trying to remember who. Because I don't think he showed up until X3 and then was only in that one. So there was an actor who played him for one film, and then I think... Uh, he was like a big actor, wasn't it? And, and yeah, I think it was like a, I, I forget who. Um, but and then uh, what's his name? It's like a, I, I'm totally blanking on the name of the young actor who now um, portrays oh, yeah. Beast in the the first class, um, like alternate timeline X Men films. Um, but yeah. Are you looking oh, up? Oh, it was Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer, yeah. That's right. Which, yeah, I mean, if Kelsey Grammer's being considered for that role, why not Nicolas Cage? Like Nicholas Holt is the young... Nicholas Holt, that's right. Um, okay, so... That's the new beast. If Kelsey Grammer is, did get it, Nick Cage could definitely be in the running. So I'm going to say... Oh, honestly, if I were to choose one of these roles to cast Nick Cage it would be the Green Goblin what you would like to see him in the most yeah yeah um yeah that would be a fun one that would be so fun but I don't know which one's um totally a lie yeah it would also be fun to see him uh playing opposite very very moody James Franco yeah you know like yeah. th- that would have been a little bit of a resemblance too totally I think that they both kind of uh can sacrifice more naturalistic performances for like those like big bold unrealistic but kind of stylized performances i'm gonna go with my hollywood stupid gut and say that the best idea is the fake one (laughs) and the worst ideas are the ones that are true okay so which one green goblin is fake and the other two are, are true okay what how'd i do you are incorrect oh there's there's faith there's hope left yet so, so green goblin was true that was a consideration it makes too much sense also it's too good S- superman was true oh i thought so uh but Ugh. no beast yeah which would have been fun yeah i uh, beast sounded like you threw me off with the kelsey Grammer thing yeah um, I didn't even uh, plan for that info to come out because beast wasn't Grammar even in the info. first x-men right as we discussed but he could have been. He would have made it better. Um, <laughs> but Cage. I, I do want to point out that there are screen tests of Nick in his Superman suit. And it's like a really, really crazy stylized, super different than any other Superman suit you've seen because it's a Tim Burton film. It's like his take on Superman. Oh, it was Tim Burton? I thought it was the Max Raimi's. No, Max Raimi's Spider-Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, Sam yeah actually, Sam Raimi. Yeah. Maximum Raimi. <laughs> um, that's actually kind of interesting. I want to yeah. see that. And he's got, like, long hair in it, too. And there's, like, uh, electrical currents. Like, it's a really cool, complex suit. And there's electrical currents, like, moving throughout the suit. I'm eating my own words here. That would be awesome. Yeah, I'll post uh, either, like, a gif of of him in that suit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just remember him just, like, in, like, being dressed and, like, putting his arms up and, like, looking at it. And the electrical currents moving throughout. It was neat. How do you feel about Tim Burton? Um... It's a hit or hit or miss for me. I mean, I haven't. I don't think I've seen a Tim Burton film like any of his like recent films. Like I can't recall the last. Did you watch Sweeney Todd or Big Fish or Big oh, Eyes? I like Big Fish. I haven't seen Big Eyes. I haven't seen Sweeney Todd. I know that's a popular one. It's funny that you say hit or miss because I would say the biggest complaint about him is that everything's too similar. Mm. 
Um, I mean, like, I just, I, I think it might have been uh, my sensibilities, like, sort of matured to a point where, like, when I saw Nightmare Before Christmas and his, like, stop motion stuff, that I was, like, at the perfect oh age to be introduced for that. And Nightmare I love that Christmas stuff. Nightmare Before Christmas inspired a generation, I feel. Like, it, yeah. especially me, like, every, there is no straight lines in any type of art I ever made after watching that movie as a kid. It's so funny. How, like, unbound and stylistic and yeah. beautiful and dark and oh love that i love that movie a lot um but i think that like i'm trying to think other than uh, big fish if i've seen a, a film of his uh like a live action film of his that i really really liked i mean like edward scissorhands that's him right yeah i like that one mm-hmm. um classic but those are old those are older movies and like i know that he's still producing stuff i just just kind of i kind of stopped paying attention to him for some reason or another well you know, have you have you stayed up with his? Uh... I haven't seen the Big Eyes one. I know Nick Funk has. Um, he's our roommate who who's like has seen every movie mm-hmm. ever made. Um, but uh, you know, I I love the music in Sweeney Todd. I'm kind of drawn to the kind of anti transcendentalist kind of gothic vibe. But when it's like Johnny Depp starring, it's like I know exactly what it's gonna be, mm-hmm. and that's not that fun anymore like yeah he's been around so long that it's like uh, that's why big fish a lot of people liked because it was different um right compared, like you can't look at a frame in that movie and say oh tim burton where you can with most of his other right. stuff right yeah but Absolutely. anyway this isn't the oh man but tim burton working with cage though i'd love to see that yeah that would have been fun i don't think they've uh, i think that was their only time where they like that could have happened buscemi was in big fish and was great yeah buscemi cage buddy cop tim burton yeah make it happen buscemi is like one of those uh like stranger character actors that i think would like kind of fits into the cage category uh that i I would love to see those two together i don't think that's ever happened though yeah but the the difference is is that buscemi doesn't have a huge portfolio of contemporary works that are garbage no he's been doing good stuff he chooses and good scripts and good movies and he boardwalk empire was pretty good and he you know his reputation doesn't get tarnished like the cage man oh but we ain't talking about buscemi so maybe cage doing something right <laughs> that's true <laughs> um yeah and an example we of the differences while buscemi was shooting the emmy um, nominated and award-winning uh series boardwalk empires nicholas cage was making the film stolen Oh, which we good. walked this, which we watched this week. We walked it and we watched it. We walked it along uh, the timeline from beginning to end. So this is a 2012 release. Um, oh my God! There's so many movies. Uh, whenever I'm on his IMDb page, it takes me like 50, <laughs> 15 seconds to find it. Um, but yeah, stolen 2012 action film. When did um, Taken come out? Taken was 2011. Great. Yeah, and th- and I think that was like a big criticism and just like a, a stigmatized like piece of this film in the public zeitgeist when this came out was that it's like this is also about Nicolas Cage as like a highly capable man. Uh, I mean, beyond that, having his daughter stolen and he has to get his daughter back. Even if the movie's similar in plot and everything, just don't name it a one-word verb that sounds a lot like Taken. Yeah, <laughs> totally. They're they're just so samey. Um, and I mean, like when you actually watch the movie, there's not that much in common, like tonally. Uh, no, but they're pretty <clears throat> no. different things. But um, yes, like Taken is much more self-serious. Like this is kind of yeah. A, a goofier comedy. It is uh, more of a like goofy, action. lighthearted it's not, action. It's, not it's a action, comedy, but for it, sure. Yeah, but it's a, it, it's an action film that doesn't take itself all that seriously, which is like good. That's kind of what yeah. I, I was hoping for. It kind of reminded me of like an '80s action movie. Yeah, a little bit. yeah, definitely. Um, and I think it was trying to evoke that. Like we we talked about the dialogue early on. This movie opens um, with uh, Nicolas Cage is playing. Yeah, so I'll read. Brief description, a former thief frantically searches for his missing daughter who has been kidnapped and locked in the trunk of a taxi. Um, And the movie opens with Nicholas and his uh, crew. They're all, um, they're all like bank 
what what are they saying? Yeah, they're 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 thieves. Um, they're like very high caliber thieves, like Ocean's Eleven thieves. Yeah, and they're sitting in a van. Nicholas is psyching himself up, listening to Clearance Clearwater Revival. He's like drumming along on the steering wheel. His daughter calls him, talking about like a a Care Bear coloring book and how. He had skipped one of the pages, and he's very sweet, and he's oh, kind of he's a, like over the top sweet. It's like um the entire time he was having that conversation, I could feel the writer and the filmmaker yeah. saying to me, "You better care about this relationship because that's like gonna hinge on caring about the rest of the movie." Like, right. This is a good relationship. It brings out the best in him, and he loves her, and it's like just shoving it down your throat yeah. so quick with no subtlety at all yeah it's not well done characterization but like the, those two beats of like showing that he's this kind of weirdo idiosyncratic thief with the the like drumming and psyching himself up to this music while his like a two compatriots in the van are like oh he's doing this again yeah and then and then before Nicole, we do a class h felony or whatever they yeah say. <laughs> class h felony which i'm sure is a real thing but that's like it, it's so funny whenever you see uh like a brief glimpse of like a screenwriter caring about realism they're like oh i heard this from like a true crime documentary yeah. so i know it's a thing i'm gonna include this and real up the level of realism real criminals and fbi agents know what a class h is yeah so but then throw it in no other aspect of the film is concerned with realism like outside of that one like specific detail which well is... and it seems very kind of like nobody's gonna talk like that there's yeah. a lot of almost especially every scene the thieves is like Nobody talks like that. Yeah. That's th- not a real conversation anybody, like, says that way ever. Well, yeah, one of the things that I, I said, uh, one of the, like, the earliest comments I had about this film was, we, we've watched a lot of poorly written films uh, for this podcast, but this was one where I felt like the writer was very, very sure that they were being clever and fun and, like, in, like, a, kind of in that 80s action film way of just, like, quippy dialogue but none of it lands and there's nothing more painful than like a very, very confident writer just like completely missing the mark. And I mean, like this is reminding me of the series love a little bit where uh, the writer Gus is invited to write with the other writers Mm -hmm. and he's taking it too seriously and wants to make high art. And he doesn't understand that it's a kitschy kind of, 80s-esque yeah he's working on like some cw vampire teen drama or like a witch show and he's trying to make it game of thrones or like something like that and um this isn't a case where we just don't understand the genre or the kitschiness it's going for this is like oh if you're gonna do kitschy like this you can't do it this poorly. That's such a good point because I, I'm someone who loves like like Stallone movies from the 80s yeah. and like Schwarzenegger movies from like Cobra is like one of my favorite movies ever. And that's like just chock full of like ridiculous Stallone lines. But it, it it's done in a self-aware way and it's done it, in a way that's like consistent to the film. It isn't like it, it never feels like this film wants to be this thing at one moment and then this thing at another moment, which Mm -hmm. this film is kind of torn in a couple different directions. Um, I would say less so than some of the movies we have been watching with him. Yeah, that's true. But it's just like stuff doesn't ever land. And and, like, I'm, I can be a fan of fun, like groany, bad dialogue, as long as it's like delivered with gusto and there's like a belief in what you're doing. But this just felt kind of rote in the way that the dialogue was being delivered. To to, to quote the movie, it's like, I used to be a golden boy and now I'm a freaking Picasso. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's a line example where it worked because it was delivered with a lot of gusto. Yeah. Honestly, this movie is like one of those movies that um, everybody has a story of staying up late at night with your friends flipping through the channels and stumbling across something you'd never watch Mm -hmm. and you spend an hour and a half watching it most of it's bad but there are these few like 30 seconds that are going to live as inside jokes forever between you and your friends because you're just having a good time watching this ridiculous movie and this movie definitely has a few of those yeah to combat the uh demoralized um like state of mind that derek and i were in uh the last couple of films after Ugh, like watching the last especially couple especially knowing especially Lord. knowing um we like had some steel reserve this time which was like 
and like having a more lighthearted, less self-serious action film. Yeah, uh, was just like, oh, we needed this. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for for the type of podcast that we're doing. Yeah, so many like mystery science theater moments for us that we could just really latch onto and yeah. laugh about and commentate on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, that job uh goes bad. He they're staking out a a bank vault. Um, there's dissent and disagreement uh, among the the four thieves that Nicolas Cage is a part of. These, the supporting um, cast in the film is uh, Malin Ackerman, Josh Lucas, and uh, and MC MC Gainey. Um, Big names. Yeah, I mean, I, there's people who probably know who Malin Ackerman and Josh Lucas are, and MC uh, or. Yeah, MC Gainey is someone who, like, he was in Lost. He's just a character actor that you've probably seen but don't know the name of. Um, but, yeah, so there's some dissent within them that causes Nicolas Cage to have, like, his character gets left behind, scooped up by the cops. Uh, the money that they get away with, though, disappears. So his crew has this belief that Nicolas Cage did something, hid it somewhere, and still has access to it. Meanwhile, Nicolas Cage burnt it right he, yeah he did actually get rid of he it. disposed of it because to get it, less time on his sentence yeah which is like oh okay that makes sense um and then he goes away to jail for eight years mm -hmm. cut to um him getting released from jail he's picked up by the uh police officers who arrested him who have been chasing them all this time great line <sighs> an insane go, line go ahead and play it right now i'm not even gonna say fletcher you're doing well we got raped every day. And so this was the point. Nothing that we had seen yet had given me any, any indication of the rating of this movie. What what would you think oh, it was? Um, just like knowing the, the entire film. I guess either PG-13 or R, but yeah. um, PG-13? Yeah, I would have guessed, uh, like seeing how the violence is handled and depicted in the film, I would have gone. And d there's not a lot of expletives throughout the film. Mm -hmm. There's no nudity. Yeah, they don't lean into an R at all, but the film is an R. And this is the one line where it's like, oh yeah, yeah. that would be a line in an R-rated film. I remember film. we were watching it and you were like, flabbergasted because he just kind of sneaks it in and yeah you're like what we, did he just i think say? we were like uh, uh, chatting or something saying something between us and then like that like we, we heard that stuck out <laughs> and we were just like wait what was the context of that like it was is crazy uh yeah so and also nicholas cage picks up a care bear mm -hmm. call back to his daughter who he was drawing classic dad book. move tries to hold on to the past right doesn't eight years in the future that he's been gone for eight years she's not gonna like care bears anymore yeah Duh. yeah um, yeah, there's some weird things with him. Like, he seems like a pretty sweet, smart guy, but every once in a while, especially in regards to his daughter, there are some things that make me feel like the uh, writer wanted to characterize him as kind of an idiot savant. So a after he's um, picked up by these um, officers and kind of, like, sit, like tells them, it, and they are like, where's that money? They want to know where the money is as well. And they're just like threatening him. That cop him to duo, stay on by the... the way, is one of the worst parts of the movie. They're really boring. Their motivations are unclear. Sometimes they they are they serious threats or are they comic relief? Yeah. The hat you Very hate that the guy hat. <laughs> wears. That hat, my god. Obsessed with Nick Cage for some reason, like in a way that doesn't. Just because I admire him doesn't mean I like him. Yeah. And a lot of that sort of thing of them like begrudgingly crushing on on this Nick Cage character. But so after they drop him off, give him a ride up and this film takes place in New Orleans during Mardi Gras. Um, he, Nick goes and tries to reconnect with his daughter. She like agrees to go and have like a coffee with him. And he, she is wearing the dumbest look on her face that entire yeah. scene. It's crazy. I don't know if she's like not a great actor. You pointed out that there was like weird changes to her hairstyle. It did seem like they maybe shot some parts of that conversation weeks apart in yeah. pickups. Um, because it was like it was almost like we were looking at a girl from a different day in the same conversation. Right. So there might be some weirdness going on with just how that stuff was shot, and it's not all on her performance. Um. Yeah, but, the editing's weird in that scene, too. But anyway, like, Nick wants, like, gives her the bear. She doesn't really have any response to that. And then he's trying to explain and apologize just for not being there. And he pulls out a note and goes to, to take a sip of water. And I'll play that audio right now because it's <laughs> the funniest 
sip I've ever seen. No one sets out to be a criminal, Allison, but through circumstances, bad choices, needs, Unfor unforeseeable obstacles, unreliable friends, dishonesty, life intervenes. And I'm not trying to justify it. I'm not making excuses. It's like too long, drawn out, just like. <laughs> <laughs> you lost your mind when that happened. It was so funny to me. Uh, just because, like, for some reason, it, it feels like it's the only part in the movie where it's like, oh, this guy's very socially awkward. And then the letter he reads, it, he, like, struggles through it as if he's illiterate. It's very Luca Brazzi at the wedding. Um, you have yeah. a masculine child. Like, he's nervous, and he can't read it right, and he's kind of awkward. Yeah. Um, you thought maybe he was illiterate after seeing that. Totally, because it's a very simple uh, letter and sentiment that he's sharing. He's just like, I'm sorry, I couldn't be there for you. I'm here now. Yeah. Signed, your dad. I mean... And, like, that's it. And I, he's, like, struggling <laughs> through it and so nervous. I could kind of get that maybe while he was in jail, he spent a lot of time and, like, did a thousand different drafts and eventually settled on something simple. And, he, and he's thinking, you know, Nick, you're going to want to say all this stuff, yeah. but just read this. But, again... It doesn't quite land the way no. they want it to, I would assume, because it's a little confusing and weird and doesn't, it's yeah. not, I don't, I can't confidently say exactly what was going it, on in it that It doesn't moment. sync up with the, with the his characterization throughout the rest of the movie. It's just like behavior that feels a little abnormal and like tonally uh, dissonant to the rest of the film. Another strange, awkward conversation Nicholas Cage has with a, a female actress across a dinner table again. Yeah, Malin Ackerman's character, I believe from uh which one was She's, that knowing uh no wait sorry what you, oh you're talking about uh the scene with rose Byrne and knowing yes yeah where they're at a table and at a museum and, and he's, he's just like screaming at her about how the world's gonna end and, and like, she has to act like she's interested in him yeah oh god that's it's, that's uh, the thing about this movie when i was first watching it i was like okay the first 10 pages of the script right this is usually where you know everything you need to know right. Grabs about your a attention movie. or you throw it in the trash. Mm -hmm. you, you realize, does this have good storytelling and dialogue? Is this something that I'm going to invest in? And the first 10 pages of knowing is that heist. Um, and there's a lot of bad dialogue, a lot of kitschy stuff that doesn't land, like a concentrated amount very early on. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, Nick's reading the script and he's like, yeah, I want to do this. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm confused. And, and, I, and I think, you know, Nick, you're a good actor. Why are you doing this? And then it becomes clear that later on in the script, he gets to do cool stunts. He's a badass bank robber. Yeah. He's got sex appeal. He's the got like a hot co-star in America. America. Yeah. They tell us several times. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, Nick, just don't worry about stuff like that. I mean, because if you have all that good stuff as a character and the movie's not good, you just look foolish. Yeah. You know, and I don't want that for you, buddy. Yeah. I think one of the big reasons he probably did this was that the director uh, also directed Con Air, which oh. was a big hit for him. Yeah. And it was a chance to get to work with it him again. It did feel kind of like old Hollywood. Like a lot mm. of it just about the way the climax was done in an abandoned park and the pacing and the villainization of the bad guy. It felt very like... This yeah. is how Hollywood used to make movies. Specifically, the yeah, so um, Josh Lucas's character, uh, like, cut back to when they're, like, still working on that heist before he's uh, he's jailed and spends eight years in prison. Uh, the, he, the, uh, uh, an argument between, between him and Josh Lucas take place about someone who witnessed them, like, running to their van. Josh Lucas wants to kill him. Nick Cage is a good guy. He's, like, he's not going to, he's not going to tell anyone. Uh, they get into a scuffle. They get into a scuffle. Nick shoots Josh Lucas in the it leg. It was kind of like an accidental shot yeah, where they're, they're scuffling, just struggling. and he gets shot in the leg, and it's, you know, obviously that sucks, Yeah. but God, the way that they treat this guy getting shot in the leg as an origin story for an evil and, villain and, is insane. And also, uh, Josh Lucas goes on to abandon. He gets away. He's a free man. Yeah, Nicholas Nick Cage, Cage grabs him and pulls him into the van and saves him yeah, saves and takes the heat. And then cut to uh, eight years in the future, jo uh, Josh Lucas's character, for some reason, is presumed dead also. Right, they, right. Everyone's like, he's having a conversation with Malin Ackerman, and they're like, yeah, he passed away, Vince died. 
And he's like, oh, man, that's too bad. I think it's kind of like, you know, symbolizing that Vince, the man that we knew, is right. dead. And now it's this rebirth because of the catalyst of this getting shot in the leg. He now has a metal leg, which gets a lot of cool close-up yeah. reveals. It's one of those, like, Oscar Pretorius, like, curved, um, yeah. like, runner bouncy. legs. Yeah. yeah. And, like... He's got an evil lair. His life has gone to hell. He's got long hair. He's scabbed up. He's eccentric and crazy. And he cannot forget about what happened eight years ago as this event that spiraled him into this madness. And it's such like a... It was a... It was like a nothing thing that yeah. happened. It was not motivating enough for a character's origin story to become an evil, right. over-the-top villain. It was so crazy. Yeah, there was like no malice directed to him on the part of Nicolas Cage. It, it, and like the thing is, like in the movie, it's not like Nick lost any sleep over what happened. He's like totally surprised that this guy's like has any sort of an interest in him still. If it um, was a few months later, I could see him being angry. Yeah. Not completely devastated, turned into another person, and becomes an evil villain with an evil plan. Maybe angry. Yeah. But eight years later? No. I did like that um, they gave him some real character, right? It wasn't just like this um, sort of callous, calculated businessman that you see so often yeah. in, in like Hollywood films. It's like... We're gonna like make this an interest, or like try to make yeah. this an interesting. The thing is, psychopath. yeah, the, the the psychopathic villain is kind of interesting. Yeah, um, it just sucks that his origin story is so weak for such an intense character. Totally. Um, and there's lots of like weird stuff that he does. The when he puts um Nicholas Cage's daughter in the trunk, he sprinkles it with little glow in the dark stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is such a weird thing that they made sure they got a close up of, and I don't know why I really love that. Like it's just I can just feel his weird conversations in his head about making her comfortable or something yeah in that moment and it's very cool there's like some texture there it was and i think it was also probably like uh like a uh a lighting thing right it's like oh this will provide some oh, light like for motivation us to see her in the trunk because yeah, we have right. to shoot her in the, in the trunk i mean yeah there's problems with that but um yeah but anyway so yeah this guy gets her in the trunk calls nick says if you don't give me the 20 the 10 million that you stole from us before you went to jail, uh, I'm going to, you know, kill your daughter. And, and I mean, basically... he doesn't believe that Nick burned it. Eventually, he does believe that Nick burned it and still goes through with his plan because he's just so tore up about accidentally getting shot in the leg with a heist that went wrong eight years ago. Yeah. Which just the motivation is not there for me at all. Yeah. So Nick is like, okay, I'm on the hunt for a cab. And this is where we get into yeah. an interesting, like, mistitling uh, okay. on Netflix's part? This was just a strange coincidence. Netflix had entitled the movie Medallion. Yeah. And the page for the movie clearly said on the picture... Um, stolen. stolen. And we found it by searching Stolen. Yeah. Which was strange And as it well. says Medallion on Netflix. And we click on Netflix and it goes Medallion and then gives the summary of Stolen. Yeah. And then there's a quick brief moment where someone mentions the word medallion nick uh like hijacks a cab and the driver inside he's holding him captive and asking him to uh like call the cab boss which is oh my god that was the like so funny comedic levity like it, it was it felt very very much like how michael bay uh uses like comedy in his movie by just having this completely outlandish unbelievable like single person he's it's not like, even like a good actor has good delivery it's very he, awkward he has but, a, a speech impediment that's the thing that makes him funny and it's that kind of kitschy thing where it does land in this because he's so we were dying laughing yeah. at these lines he, he, he you got to play some right now yeah he's stealing fast pocketing wait are you You're saying that this creepy, limping bastard be running around snitching my dough? Thanks, pal. Looky here. Did you just turn white on me all of a sudden? Who that is? <laughs> snitching my dough. Snitching my dough? Or, uh, when did you turn white on me? Hold yeah. on a minute. Oh, my God. It's, uh, it's very, it's bad, but it's goofy and fun. Yes. Uh, like it's it's stupid they shouldn't have done that but also i enjoyed it <laughs> um but yeah so that's when he i guess uh medallions is a term that's used for cab id numbers mm -hmm. so he's like oh it's in a different medallion which is like oh maybe in a uh 
in like a foreign market or something, this was that's like a more commonly known name, and they didn't like the name stolen. So they're like, we're going to call it Medallion because it's about hunting a, a girl in a taxi. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe that's it. But it was just very strange because it sounded like, I, I don't know, it, it sounded, it's a totally different movie. We were just confused about that. And then it popped up and we, we thought it had just been like a mistitling on Netflix's part. And it's like, oh, this does have to do with Somehow. this movie. But it's not what we thought because like, we obviously thought it was like. A, a, a prize medallion yeah we thought that the movie was going to be like become about the hunt for the medallion yeah. <laughs> and that's what was going to give him the superpowers to save his daughter um, uh, ends up not being the case yeah um, the, the the climax is very um old hollywood climactic with a showdown at the old abandoned park uh it was kind of a fun climax because yeah. the evil villain who is like not believable in his origin story or what he has become turns they really up the ante and he becomes like a swamp monster near the end like he really and then you totally called it that he gets a very like fitting death that's very Mm -hmm. dramatic yeah cage locks him in a trunk into a sinking car yeah he sets him on fire uh nicholas sets the bad guy on fire at a certain point that doesn't do it then the the cab with nick's daughter is driven into uh the ocean nick has to dive and get her out but then the swamp monster emerges. He's still alive, and he grabs Nick and is trying to. You know, there's a struggle. Eventually, I forget what the killing blow was, but he, he like stabs him with something, right? Yeah, I, I don't even remember. But then he stabs him, throws him into the trunk, closes the trunk, and then the car sinks. It's funny because the good. car was like not sinking while his daughter was in the trunk for a long, long time, not sinking while they were fighting. Yeah. And then as soon as he puts him in the trunk, the car immediately sinks <laughs> to the bottom of the lake. Yeah, it's uh, it's very quick. I mean, that's what I mean by old Hollywood. Like you yeah, forgive right. that stuff because it's just that's how the bad it's guy like, dies. This is clean and poetic in some yeah. ways. Yeah. Um, and then there's a great moment of Nick got shot at some point in that altercation. And there's like in the a, leg, right? I think it's in the chest. Really? Yeah. Because oh. he's like, it's like a more serious thing. He's being like cradled in his daughter's lap, and uh, she's like, "Dad, I'm sorry. Like, yeah. y- you got shot, so I feel bad now about how I treated you before, and yeah. the fact that you were a thief and abandoned me and weren't there for me is okay now." Yeah. And she like, there's like a shot, like a, a like a crane shot or something, yeah. like from a above. big epic pull back wide where she's like yelling somebody help us uh, and then it, it which is always like in my mind it's like oh you cut away at that point to like they're getting help or help arrives or a black and then, screen even like, intense <laughs> and then it cuts back to them like talking for like a while another more. like couple seconds of her holding and being like you're gonna be okay oh no and which it was, was like, just like so funny a like, weird like i don't know how that i don't know how that decision was made but it was a bad one uh well the one thing we missed um mm. is that he does end up getting an equivalent amount of money. He goes, right. recruits. He's got to do Ackerman's one more, character. one more heist to get yeah. the money to save his daughter. Because at this point, the villain knows he doesn't have the money, and so Nick's like, "I'm gonna get it to you somehow." Yeah, and the way that they do it is like equal parts kind of cool and clever, but also stupid. Uh, they like go underneath into these sewers, uh, beneath the bank vault that they originally stole the 10 million out of there was a, a point back in that original heist where josh lucas's character is stealing at all this gold behind like uh behind a cage it, while nick's like just taking dollar bills like paper capital and and he's like oh I'd, I'd love something shiny like this and so they go from beneath beautiful foreshadowing yeah and uh are trying to get the gold and have like this giant flamethrower and nick's wearing like these cool welders goggles nick's is in mad max at this point yeah he is and he's just like burning a hole through the bank vault through the floor of the bank vault and then melts the gold which drips down into the water of the sewer and they just collect like clumps of uh like hardened cooled hardened like gold gross looking gold yeah and then Just he's clever. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's good. Cool. Um, and then he's like carrying around a big duffel bag of like hundreds and hundreds of pounds of gold. Yeah. And he's he's making it seem heavy, but it's clearly probably just like styrofoam painted. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, and like at that point, pacing wise, it, it probably didn't need another new heist to go on. Right. So that kind of took away from it, but it was kind of a cool little. Yeah, thing. it's kind of it, yeah. It like didn't need it on a pacing level, but like 
the film structurally it's like this guy starts out he's got to use his skills he's got to be brought back into that world to right. save his daughter like just that makes happens sense too late yeah and then uh end of the film is like very much like they're trying to set up like we th- there's an assumption that we care much more about these characters than we actually do right they're having like a family barbecue yeah or... it's uh him and uh malin anchorman and his daughter and they're all barbecuing they i i guess they have a chunk of the gold still mm-hmm. and the two um i think they're fbi agents are like watching them uh from a boat and they're having this weird back and forth and and Nick is like struggling whether or not he should throw away the gold and be done with that criminal side. He just did this to save his daughter, or should he keep the gold and live a nice life? One of the detectives, just like his daughter, became endeared to him after he got shot. Yeah, and he's he's cha- he's saying, you know, throw it, Nick. I don't want to be chasing you. And the other detective's still bitter and says, don't throw it. And there's this like a bunch of shots of Nick like getting ready to throw yeah. like like a baseball and then like winding up and stopping and winding up and then the detective's going throw it don't throw it throw it don't throw it, it and goes it goes on, for on so long so <laughs> wait like Tim and Eric levels yeah. of like cutting back and forth on the, cuz they're trying to build the tension I guess right. but it, <laughs> it but just it, comes yeah, off as ridiculous it goes all, like so far along uh, it, it's just like such an extended sequence that like it goes from like this is funny to like this is going on an insane length an insane length to this is funny again because it's like just gone on for so long uh and then he throws something in the water oh no spoilers but it's not the gold it's the medallion (laughs) it's the medallion (laughs) cut to black the medallion cut to no cut to like those coins floating in the bottom of the ocean in pirates of the caribbean yeah prequel Ooh yes johnny depp emerges from the depths Depth uh, from Depp. Depth from New the podcast. Ooh, the depths of Depp. Oh yeah. Um, cool. I think that's we a, got yeah. it all. I mean, honestly, that's almost the whole movie. You don't even have to watch it now. You're welcome. Yeah, I feel like with action movies, there's less to say about like critically sometimes, and it's more fun moment to just to like moment. Yeah, yeah. Let's just summarize this. Um, let's move into. Or wait, we got to give our our final thoughts yeah our final thoughts why don't you start us off i'll start um i'm going to basically um you can i can forgive this movie in a lot of ways that i can't forgive the other movies because it is going for that kind of kitschy action Mm -hmm. um no way would i consider it a great movie like it's almost like i had to take the kids to a thing yeah and i got some little bits out of it you know while i had to be there so i'm gonna give my first good bad emphasis on the bad but um i had a good time making fun of it um and there you know were some it wasn't it wasn't very well made particularly but it didn't leave me completely devastated like knowing did so i'm gonna go good bad on this one totally um i also feel like the the film just it, it knew what it was to a further degree than almost uh, all the other films yes. that we that we watched. Helps and with it, my brain. Yeah, and it, it was just there was an amount of self awareness, and then there were also moments where I laughed, where the intention behind like the beat was like we want someone to laugh here. Yeah. So there were there were things there were beats in this movie that landed with me as yeah. a, a viewer, and uh, and I had like an amount of fun watching. Another thing that we didn't really talk about, but at, uh, a, a common criticism through almost all of the films that we've watched outside of Joe is that Nick had been deprived of agency and uh, and wasn't like driven and wasn't really occupying the roles that he was taking. Right. And yeah. this this was he he was giving like a for real performance and he w- was like inhabiting the character to some degree and he was making things happen yeah his uh, motivations were somewhat believable and yeah he drove the story into different places into different decisions yeah definitely um so i am also going to give this film uh, a good bad you know not the most fun like dumb action movie ever but it's no. like oh yeah i don't regret watching this and making fun of it for for a bit um, yeah it was yeah it's kind of fun um, I feel like we're gonna give more good bads if we keep drinking steel reserves. Yeah, I feel like that <laughs> that helps. Uh, that definitely helps. Probably wouldn't want to watch Doggy Dog like that though. No, that would give me nightmares. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move into a little segment that we call Cage Match. Hey, buddy, ever heard of a lie? Hey, have you ever been dragged to the sidewalk and being tell you pissed blood? Oh. <laughs> this is. I've been dreading this because 
I know exactly where it goes, mm-hmm. but um, it's just these two movies that I, I I can't decide which one goes over the other. Dog like, eat dog. No. 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 I, I'm thinking. Okay, go. What do we have so far? Go through our. Oh ratings. yeah, so our current ranking is Joe followed mm-hmm. by Dog Eat Dog, mm-hmm. then Pay the Ghost, mm-hmm. then Knowing. Okay, so Joe's at the top, Knowing's at the bottom. Easy. Yeah. Those stay. Um, the thing about this movie is that there are parts about Pay the Ghost that are so bad that this movie does better. Like Nick Cage actually having a say in the story. Mm-hmm. Like uh, have, being cohesive in any way. Yeah. Um, but there are are parts of pay the ghost such as the art direction yeah it's a better looking movie no doubt oh overall it's better looking it's more um like this movie tried to have uh uh, um stolen tried to have texture in some of the characters and what was going on um pay the ghost had no texture for any of the characters but the places had a lot like the if you compare the Mardi Gras scene yeah, to the Halloween festival from Pay the Ghost, the Halloween festival from Pay the Ghost has inch every inch of the frame is covered with cool storytelling and art design and pretty stuff. And um, the Mardi Gras scene's very cut and dry Hollywood extras, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it's really hard for me to like figure out which one goes on top of the other when they miss so hard in different ways mm. that I, it kind of just has to go down to what I value in movies more. Yeah. Um, so the art design and some of the cinematography and pay the ghost was much better. Um, but yeah, I think on a, I, I like, I totally get, and there are things about this movie that I kind of want to punish it for. Like one of the characters, one of the, crew members i knew you're gonna talk about this guy yeah he's he sucks uh, and all of his dialogue really sucks and malin anchorman's character like outside of being like a nice person to she she kind of exists uh, all of the other male characters in the show are terrible to her yeah except for nick so she exists as a device to show nick, nick is a good guy i mean all of is, the men in the movie are either comic relief or just completely over sexualizing women like yeah. that's all their dialogue is yeah it's just talking about meeting up with chicks or having sex or looking like 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 massaging them with their eyes yeah that's right all they do yeah it's it's gross and it's bad like or she's there to show that nick is a good guy to her and then also just be sexually harassed which is shitty and it's like that, that's bad that's the thing just in action movies in general it's yeah. always been this weird dissonant I mean, thing i love action movies a lot but that's always been a problem i don't care if, if a character over sexualizes woman or is a pig like that's can be interesting but it was like these people aren't people right they're it's just, how she's being used in the film yeah like not it's it's the it's the way in which the creators have chosen to use this this woman versus like just her place in the world of this film mm-hmm. um so that's bad uh and like that that's like one of the most negative things i could say about the film and like pay the ghost didn't really have that in any way well, like, and it you didn't were saying have... like um the confidence that this writer had sometimes in how badly they missed mm-hmm. um pay the ghost had generic writing right but it wasn't it was trying one way or the other very hard. It was just generic writing to get from scene to scene almost. Yeah. It, it was like consistently dull. I, I, it elicited no emotional reaction from me whatsoever, whereas uh, Stolen had moments where I was like, fuck this, I don't like this. And then also moments where I was like, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so it, like, it, it, it had like peaks and valleys in a way that Pay the Ghost was just like a flat line. Yeah, and I think now that we're saying that loud, I think it goes above Pay the Ghost. Yeah. Um, so then the only question is Dog Eat Dog. Yeah. And this movie, it's so weird that Dog Eat Dog is so high still. Yeah. On I, the list. Honestly, mm, I don't know. Uh, it's been some time. It, it is like as a whole, as a film, it like knows what it is and it hits the mark as for what it's shooting for. It, to a higher degree than dog eat dog and like that that's like that's kind of beside the point i did like this movie i had a better time watching this movie than i had watching dog eat dog like that that's just the straight up reality uh, end of the day but you like action movies a little more than i do as well yeah no totally and you might have uh, a different uh feeling about this um yeah i i don't know i i feel like it hits its mark it it 
like knows what it is more than doggy dog uh knows what it that it is i mean and, i would um, i would still say doggy dog is higher i don't know how this is possible after watching doggy dog yeah. so far back that it's beating all these others but it, it's to me it's more that like i said it's going back to what i value in movies and one thing i do value is to not rehash the same things and try to explore the medium and this movie is old hollywood like we said yeah. like things like the the way the the climax happens and and the, the the tone of it feels like movies that were made all throughout the 90s but worse yeah whereas doggy dog spurred some conversation because even mm. though it's kind of disjointed and not great in some ways like the ending strange um epilogue yeah. doggy could... dog did interesting things with uh like the format and, and mm-hmm. just like formally it did interesting things where stolen is every every inch of that film is like retreaded something it's their take on this thing that's already established whereas doggy dog had ambitions and like defoe in the beginning of doggy dog is a very intense well done yeah. sequence so somehow doggy dog is still number two and yeah. then this movie I, I totally agree with that okay so um, we got what is the order now the order now is joe followed by dog eat dog followed by stolen followed by pay the ghost and then at the bottom is knowing i feel good about that yeah i feel good about that i too. mean it's tough because pay the ghost like the small like things that are good about it are so cool like mm-hmm. it, it you know Maybe it doesn't deserve to be ranked so low yeah. in terms of these movies that are already bad. Right. Um, but as a whole, it's, that, it's a whole, you know, yeah. the movie as a whole. It's, it's, it's a better hard than one it's to, sum. It's a hard one to fight for because it is just like these 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 certain aspects of this film are cool. Yeah. But as a whole, it's yeah. really pretty boring. You can't just do it on the pieces. you got to look at it as the whole painting. And, um, okay. Well, yeah. Cool. Feel good about that. Yeah. I was thinking actually uh, Pay the Ghost was going to beat it because... But you know what? I feel good. Yeah. I feel good. Cool. Um, let's move into a segment called Cage News. Hit me with the news. So the news this week, which we actually have some news. Yes. We, for, for a while, we were kind of just scraping the bottom of the barrel. Not a lot going on with the cage man. Um, or and you so, were just too busy watching The Bachelor to care about and so, research. I, 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 I put it. I always. Yeah, that's probably true. But um, yeah, so this not so much. We, we've talked about how sometimes his movies aren't informed. Things kind of just happen to the cage and mm. he's not making these uh, driving the movie. Yeah, he's not driving. So this is news that sort of happens around cage uh, this week. Okay. One of them was that a British man was jailed in China, uh, a tourist um, and in jail. He was shown uh, Chinese communist propaganda and mm. also a lot of old Nicolas Cage movies. Like, really? Yeah, just for some reason, that's what they aired there. Well, you know, Nicolas Cage, actually, uh, I worked with a, an awesome guy from Dubai, lived his basically his whole life in the Middle East, came here just a few years ago. Um, he works in my line of work, so he's been influenced by American movies, mm-hmm. and he loves Nicolas Cage. Yeah. It he puts of... him up there with Tom Hanks, like... It kind of got me thinking of like, oh, I wonder if all these movies that uh, he's been producing now are much more successful in foreign markets than they mm. are domestically, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is possible. Um, I mean, it's it's tough too because like we're looking at it through this small microcosm of his contemporary works, which right. is so. If we were this thoughtful about Nick Cage's good movies, yeah. we could really get into how great he is. And yeah, it's and we'll, easy to forget that, and we'll get there. I think uh, I'm not sure how frequently or just like how we're going to explore that stuff. But, I mean, we could. The way that our show is structured, we could just watch one of his old movies and talk about it. Yeah. And we might do that every so often. Maybe how like, do you burn? Every, well, that actually is in our timeline. Yeah, that's that, contemporary, right? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's yeah. right at the cutoff. That was a 2005 film. And I think that's probably where the dip in quality finally really yeah. starts happening. <laughs> there was some traumatic event there that just ruined his ability to choose projects. It was the bees. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's an interesting thing. Very strange. I kind of get it, though. I think, yeah, like, people not from the United States have a, a very positive, um, you know, vi- uh, interpretation of the cage. But yeah. if you are outside the United States and you happen to be listening... Let us, yeah, let yeah. us know your, like, cultural insight uh, to Nicolas Cage, like, what he mm-hmm. means to you. Because he really means something now to, uh, mod- like, 
young audiences in the United States, and that is a meme and silly lines. Right, that's been, been taken reduced. Out of context. That was a, that's a thing. Whenever I'm like doing research for the news segment, when uh, sometimes there's articles that are just like making fun of him. Like there was something, there's some fucking BuzzFeed article or something this past week where someone was like. The, like this project is being removed from netflix just because of like licensing or mm-hmm. whatever they like lost Songs their deal yeah. and they're like meanwhile there are 12 nicholas cage movies uh i'd rather like die and it's just like <laughs> people are so hard on him and i really do think it's like people who aren't familiar with his body of work it's right. just like they are familiar in the space that he occupies in this weird niche online but you know i do not forgive him for having a huge portfolio of contemporary works that is terrible yeah like you can't just pick these projects and be taken like forgiven and taken seriously because can't be stolen you you, you're smarter than that cage man you're a good actor like we we saw joe joe's great um the other uh news article which is like weirdly similar to the last one is that there's a a new vr experience that just got released oh hell yeah um called the cage cage oh my god so imagine if you will you're sitting in the center of uh like a square room and um yeah with bars around you and then on the walls are just like the walls are screens showing nicholas different nicholas cage films awesome yeah that's great uh, yeah i think it's interesting i think like, they're kind of getting off on the like nicholas cage buzzword yeah well, kind that, of like our podcast might be as well yeah well, i feel like it was, i feel like they might be buying into the shit that we were just talking about right him as right. a meme the cage cage like oh yeah. isn't this a bad existence having to be like that's what we are choosing to do with our free time <laughs> like yeah. basically what you are in what happens to you to you when you are imprisoned in china is what we are doing with our free time <laughs> like that's an insane <laughs> thing to think very about father john misty uh but the the thing is like and i hope this comes across we really are approaching this with an earnestness we're being thoughtful about the cage yeah for 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 sure it's an exploration yeah like it comes from a place of uh admiration at some level yeah um, and, and a genuine interest and like you know working in like the entertainment industry and stuff it's like being an actor is hard having a big name like this is hard being turned into a meme is crazy yeah. like it's interesting to try to wade through all of the um, goggles that are being put on to your perspective of totally. a person who's doing this art and yeah, you know, try, I, I, try to figure it out. I think in part, like something that I hope that we achieve, like obviously there's like humorous elements to this podcast, but like I hope in some small part we kind of like f- find some of that humanity that like celebrity has stolen away yeah. from this man. Yeah. And this like creative person. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's like too noble of a. a of hey, like it's a okay place. to have ambitions, though. If we're gonna yeah. be doing this, yeah. Okay. Maybe and you know maybe one day the cage man listens to this stuff and and he thinks we're all right and I'd love to meet him, man. That'd yeah, be great. That would be great. I mean, and hey, don't that don't let that like make you think that we are like being overly like kind or like cushiony for with our thoughts on these films obviously if you listen to like the review portions of the show we're like we're, we're serious and, and hard i mean on like shit. there are some stuff that if nick cage did listen to this i sound very patronizing to him sometimes and yeah. i would feel a little uncomfortable you know knowing that he heard me say sure. some of those things you know so yeah we're not being overly as you say cushy right well which i also think like uh is, is part of the job of a critic, right? You, you have to sort of remove and be like, of course people poured their personal time, their personal hours, a, a lot of uh, effort into making this thing. But as a, pers- as a person who's removed from that experience, is this still worth my time? Is this still worth my thought, my money, whatever, uh, whatever, however you like to think about mm-hmm. uh, con- consumption of entertainment. But um, all right. Yeah. Next film. Mm. Next week mm-hmm. on Contemporary Cage, we are going to be watching uh, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call. An- what is that? Another New Orleans film directed by Warner Herzog. Really? Werner. Werner. Werner Herzog? Yeah, Werner. Oh, my God. Um, Another one that's uh, reviewed pretty well. Or posit- oh, positively reviewed. cool. Yeah. A good movie, maybe. Yeah, I think it was uh, 2011, maybe? But um yeah, I'm excited for that one. Never seen it. Um 
you know, I like some of Werner's films. Yeah. Uh, Never even heard of this movie. Yeah. It was a, a, there, there is, um, Bad Lieutenant, which is an old film starring, uh, Gene Hackman. I don't think that's right. Oh God. I know it's. And this is tied to Harvey Keitel. Sorry. Okay. I get no. Well, actually, I don't know. It's the exact same name, except this one has a subtitle, um, The Port hmm. of Call, uh, New Orleans, and the other one is just The Bad Lieutenant. You might have and to I do think there are thematic similarities. Between a little the film. research about, you know, before we dive in. Totally. To be a little more informed. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back with some information. And this That's... one isn't on Netflix. We were going to have to rent it. Okay. But uh, if you guys would like to watch along, you're always welcome to do that. Mm-hmm. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can do that at contemporarycage at gmail.com. Uh, I haven't been plugging that on the podcast, but mm. if you want to send anything, any thoughts, if you're, as Derek said, uh, living in uh, a country that is not the U.S. and have an opinion about the cage, we'd be interested to your mm-hmm. unique insight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and if you are, again, interested in the music video stuff that we talked about earlier, you can check us out on Twitter at RainSongsMusic. It's also Facebook.com slash RainSongs, or you can email us directly, RainSongsProduction at gmail.com. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, we'll see you all next week. Bye, guys. Have fun, guys. See you later.